Yeah. <laughs> Sam doesn't make that many jokes like this. I'm surprised he doesn't take the opportunity more often. So I'm both substitute Joe and Sam today. Um, so far, so good, I guess. Um, my name is Olav. If you don't know me, uh, I am one of the leaders over at YWAM. Uh, you've seen our people come and go a lot here, um, not because they're church shopping, but because they only spend three months in Oakhurst at a time. So we can only spend three months here too. So yeah, um, let me just pray and then uh, we'll jump into it. Jesus, thank you for this uh, day. Thank you for this time that we get to dive into your word and um, and hear from you and um, pray that you just, um, yeah, just come and speak to us through... Uh, in many different ways, because we all have our different walks with you in our different times, and we're all at different points, God, but we can all hear from the same word in the Bible, and we can all be encouraged and empowered and challenged, Jesus. So I pray that you come and uh, do just that, and uh, let us uh, be stronger. Amen. All right. So we're going to spend some time in, we're going to start off in Acts chapter 17, just to kind of get started. And um, just a little backstory on Acts 17, so far, uh, we have uh, been following um, Paul and Silas around a little bit here and there. Um, they, um, just leading up to this, they had just been arrested um, for, uh, kind of because they drove out a demon, which is, it's kind of a funny story. So Paul and Silas are going to a place of prayer, and then they were met by this slave girl who had a spirit of divination, it says in the scripture, and she was a fortune teller. And basically what was happening is they're walking around trying to do their business or their ministry. And then this girl is just following them, crying out. These are the words that, that was in the Bible. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she was doing this for multiple days. And I don't know about you, but if I were to try to go to um, Greece or wherever they were and try to tell people the truth, it would have been kind of convenient if the local fortune teller was affirming <laughs> what you were doing. But apparently, uh, Paul got a little bit tired of this, which I guess it makes sense if that's all you're hearing for two or three days straight. Might, maybe you got a little tired. So Paul just turns to this girl and just in the name of Jesus, like drives out this demon. And hopefully he thought probably that he was done with this problem. But apparently the problem was that the owners of this um, slave girl, um, they were making a lot of money off of this fortune telling. And then they got mad at Paul and Silas. And then they got thrown into jail. You guys probably remember this. And this is kind of the famous um, story when Paul and Silas are in jail. Um, they're singing. They're praying. They're being a lot better at being in jail than probably most of us would be. Um, and then there, eventually there's an earthquake. The prison walls, I guess, just come down. Uh, Paul and Silas, again, decide not to do the prison break and stay in jail. And then the jailer, or the prison guard, I guess, uh, who was watching over them, was so worried that they had already run away, that he was going to just take his own life because he didn't want to deal with the consequences from the, I'm assuming, the Roman, uh, his authorities. Um, and then Paul and Silas caught him just in time, like, no, 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 we haven't escaped. And this was such a big deal for this guy that he was, uh, he ended up receiving the gospel, his whole family got baptized. And then they eventually got released from prison. So that's kind of what was going on here. So they got, that's the backstory, reading up to chapter 17. And then just after they got released, they went through some of these towns and just shared the gospel. And this is this is kind of the part, this is the verse or this uh, section I want to just kind of have as a sort of starting point for this whole um, teaching. So we're going to start 17, verse 
5. I'm just going to read 5 and 6. So I'll just read it. It says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Jason was the guy that Paul and Silas had been with, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So I just want to spend, kind of, kind of keep that in the back of your brain. And then we're actually going to just, we're going to come back to it. But we're going to look at Matthew 5 um, in the meantime. So I'll let you know. Matthew 5, uh, starting at verse 1 there. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, verse, the verses I'll be reading first is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. So, um, seeing the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what it says right here. So this is pretty familiar. So um, I'm assuming you guys have heard this before. Um, these are commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, which is just another word for bless. It comes from the word blessing, to be blessed. Um, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about this word blessed. Um, it's a pretty common word, and you probably use this word almost on a weekly basis, right? We feel blessed, or we will say, I was so blessed to spend time with my family, or, you know, see what I mean? And in in a lot of ways, that like it means kind of what it sounds like. It means it could mean to be fortunate. Um, some translations even tie it to the word happy, so it makes you happy. Uh, another commentary used the term: "This blessedness is a spiritual state of well-being, a deep joy-filled cont uh, contentment that cannot be shaken by poverty, grief, famine, persecution, war, or any other trial or tragedy we face in life." So really what we're getting at is we're talking about something good, right? <laughs> to be blessed is to be good. It's a good thing. <laughs> um, but as we're going to kind of figure out here, what Jesus says is good is, doesn't always come across as like immediately good for us. And that's really what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about. Like Jesus is really trying to set his standard and what he, what the kingdom of God is about. And then we are kind of like, well, are you sure? <laughs> you know? And Gus actually taught him this, uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount last week, chapter 7, is kind of the tail end of it, and I'm going to sort of teach on the first end of it, but I'll encourage you to read the whole sermon, because it's a, there's a lot of very challenging good stuff in there. Um, um, I just wanted to point out, before we even go into this specific text, is that we're talking 
we're not talking about your value or your salvation in this. A lot of these passages is not about who you are as a person, because we know we're saved by grace, right? We've like we know that we have our value is set and it doesn't change. Um, but uh, the enemy wants us to not remember that, right? The enemy wants us to forget that, especially when we read uh, texts like this that have a lot of instruction and a lot of things we feel like we should do, or maybe we feel like we aren't doing. The enemy is going to be quick to be like tying those things to who you are and make you feel like you're not valuable or not worthy, for instance. So I just wanted to remind you that that's not the truth. You have um, eternal value and your salvation comes through Jesus. Um, and every time we read this um, kind of text, we have to watch out for what what does the Holy Spirit's conviction look like and what does it look like to be convicted. And also, also um, I think conviction always comes with a way out or like a solution, right? It's like conviction leads us to repentance, which is like turning around and then we know what to do. But a lot of times the con condemnation, I think that comes from the enemy is kind of hopelessness or we, we feel this pressure, but we don't know what to do about it. And then we just feel like we want to give up. So if you feel like you want to give up, you're probably tapping into the wrong source. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? So I just wanted to, um, just wanted to emphasize that before we even start. Um, and it's so important, and we talk so much about this with our students in YWAM, it's so important to have faith in the fact that we can change. Because sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we think we're just stuck, and it feels like we're stuck. But if you don't have faith in the fact that you, like I'm talking to all of us, can't actually have the ability to change through the uh, works of the Holy Spirit, it's really hard to read texts like this. Because they are asking us to change a lot of things, and you have to have faith that we can and I actually think this is exactly what Paul is talking about. In this famous verse in Philippians 4.13, he says that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? And sometimes we hear this and we think that Paul just have these like Holy Spirit fingers and he just snaps them and he's like amazing. And I mean, he obviously is a huge role model, so I'm not trying to talk him down. But in Philippians 4.13, that specific passage, he says, he says that he has learned to be content in all things. And he has, there's been a process. And I really think that through the Holy Spirit, he has allowed the process of, of you know, being refined happen. It's not, I don't think he's trying to say that you don't have the Holy Spirit if you're not perfect. Does that make sense? If you have a problem, that doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. just want to make that clear. And it's all about letting the Holy Spirit slowly molding us and sanctifying us. So looking into these verses, I'm going to go pretty fast over them uh, because there's so much to be said about these. And there's so many smarter people than me that you can go and read and you can probably you know you can read many books about just these 12 verses but i wanted to just touch a little bit on each of them so starting with um blessed are the poor in spirit um i had to look this up actually because i was like don't we kind of want to be rich in spirit you know <laughs> I, I i think we hear this so often that it just becomes like yeah i want to be poor in spirit but, um, and I don't, I think it's, it's so quick to like forget that it actually has a meaning beyond just that, what we hear all the time. And a lot of commentaries suggest that this idea of being poor in spirit has to do with this humbling towards God and realizing, I like how one put it, uh, realizing that we have nothing spiritual to offer God. So when it comes to uh, spiritual things, we can't just come to him and be like, hey, we have all these great ideas. It's, <laughs> we have to turn it around and just receive everything from him. And hence, we're poor, right? We're poor in that sense. Um, it's very different from what we hear around us here in the West, where we're so used to hearing that you have to be independent and you have to take care of yourself. And needing anything sometimes can feel like not 
being blessed, right? How often don't we say that we're blessed when we don't have any needs? But I think Jesus is trying to kind of flip it here. Like, no, we're actually blessed when we have a need of God. Like, we have a dependence on God means to be blessed for us. And it's just an opposite there. And even James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we got to make sure we really humble ourselves in front of him. Um, the next one is a bit interesting. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, again, such... Such an, seems to be an opposite way of thinking at things, right? And um, most of us obviously don't feel like we're blessed when we mourn. It seems like a contradiction. Um, some um, commentaries are suggesting that there could be a different meaning or two meanings. Uh, if there's two, then one of the meanings would be that uh, it's about mourning our sin and mourning or griefing our sin so that we will be led to repentance because you have to sort of go through this process of like mourning the wrong to realize what's right. Uh, and I can see that. I mean, that makes sense. And I think there was something in the Greek there that kind of suggested that that was the meaning. But I'm also, I think I'm willing to like to, to, to say that there's two meanings here, that there actually is something about this idea of being blessed when you mourn. And um, recently, um, I had a friend of mine that actually had a very tragic loss in his family. Um, he lost both of his parents, and um, he knows that I'm going to be sharing about this. But he, um, he, I was talking to him um, just about uh, just that whole thing earlier this year, and this verse came up, and it was very interesting because he was saying how he had actually gone through loss before in his life, uh, and he was comparing how he went through the loss then and now, and I think also, I mean, there was a lot of maturing in Christ during that season, I think. And he was comparing how the last time he went through a big loss, he had sort of um, not dealt with a lot of the emotion, emotional things and had kind of not really wanted to think about it and actually not mourned. Because to mourn means to actually really like feel and like like dwell on the, the negative or not negative, but the hard things. But as opposed to now, uh, this time around, he had allowed himself to engage more in that sort of heavy place, but it's better for us in the long run, because as I'm sure a lot of you guys have experienced, if we don't deal with it, it just goes on for much longer, and we don't actually come out of it. And I thought that was interesting, and I, I would say, you know, then in that case, you are blessed when you mourn, because if you choose not to mourn, then I think you'll be less blessed. So those are kind of two meanings there that I thought was worth mentioning. Um, blessed are the meek is the next one uh, another thing that's very different from the world around us rarely do you ever hear um, internet or media kind of encourage us to be meek it's <laughs> pretty pretty rare uh, but at the same time like we're, we're a target to advertisements we're a target to people trying to sell us things sell us a lifestyle sell us uh, or even uh, try to help us solve problems that we didn't have until they made us aware of them and you see what I mean, right? And how many times don't we actually think we're solving our problems by acquiring things or even, you know, buying these things and like, you know, doing all these worldly things and buying cars or so whatever we do. And then we realize later we actually acquired ourselves more problems than we had to begin with because those things have to be maintained and they have to be insured and then they have to be taken care of and cleaned and organized. And I think Jesus has a good point in here. There is a lot that goes into being meek beyond just that. But I think he has a good point where, like, if we 
are if we dare to just have what we need and not more it i think there's a lot of bless blessedness in that and this idea of being more minimal in our lives uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll be more blessed um because of that and it obviously the other the flip side of that is to be completely dependent on jesus again it goes back a lot of these beatitudes are very much about being dependent on jesus because if we don't have any of our own things or we don't have any other option than being dependent on him because we're kind of made ourselves poor for the sake of Christ, right? Um, I think it's interesting how the promise that's related to this, you know, there's a blessing and a promise. The promise here is that they shall inherit the earth. I thought that was so interesting because um, when we're meek, we're kind of uh, saying we don't want to have a lot of possessions, but then he's, actually promising that we will inherit the whole earth, you know? And it's so, it's basically this idea of let's be meek now in this life and then we'll have so much more um, in the next life, I think. Um, the next one is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, such a prayer for myself. I, I just, I want to hunger and thirst. I want to, I want my emotional life to hunger because it's such a, it's such a, occupying kind of state when we're hungry and we're thirsty it's hard to think about anything else and this is what i want for my life i want to hunger and thirst for purity and holiness and righteousness and and also hate sin because it's kind of the opposite obviously and um yeah I, I i pray this for me and i pray this for you you too and even what um um matthew says for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul um i just want to you know i want to hunger and thirst for the righteousness that feeds my soul and not try to gain the whole world. The next one is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This is kind of restated in a similar way next in the next chapter, Matthew 6, 15. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespass. Neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a controversial uh, idea. This isn't it. Um, I've at least have run into people that have a hard time with this idea that um, we have to forgive people to receive forgiveness. And I just want to say, like, let's be careful here because I don't think we should be quick to tell other people that they're not forgiven, right? Uh, and I think this is a lot more about how unforgiveness affects us, right? And people do terrible things to each other. And people have, I'm sure a lot of you guys have experienced a lot of loss and disappointment. And um, I, all I want to say here, um, and I, with total grace and understanding that you guys are in uh, relationships that have, I'm sure have been hurtful. All I want to say is that unforgiveness in our hearts is a very bad place to be. And it's not a very blessed state of living, right? And sometimes I think we we think that we're punishing the other person by not forgiving them, but ultimately we're really only punishing ourselves, right? And, and this is definitely an area where I would, um, I would suggest finding um, godly counsel from a friend or a counselor or a pastor or someone you trust. Um, because some of the things that uh, people do to other people is we're not meant to deal with those things alone, right? I think we need other people in our lives to get through those things. Um, but ultimately, um, I think us forgiving them should be our, our goal, even though it doesn't may, might not feel like it's 
attainable in this moment, I think we should we should aim for that because that's really I think where the freedom is in those things when we when we get to a point where we can forgive them. Blessed are the pure in heart. Um, I think this one is very similar to uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, it's this idea of loving purity over um, over sin and loving holiness. Um, and um, yeah, I don't want to say a whole lot more about that. Um, there's you can look more into that. The next one is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, God obviously really cares about peace. We know this throughout the Bible. Um, I think the Jews were a little almost disappointed or at least confused by the fact that Jesus wasn't this uh, a war lord or this king with a sword that was just going to come in violence, right? He came with peace. Um, again, very different than what um, they probably expected. Um, and Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, which I thought was interesting because as I was thinking about this, the promise here is that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I thought it was interesting because Jesus, obviously, the Son of God, is the Prince of Peace, and we also get to take part of that inheritance. You know, we'll be called sons of God when we are peacemakers. Um, there's other verses in the Bible that talk about peace, like First Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and, and there's a lot of ways you can apply this, obviously. But in, in short, it's just about pursuing harmony and humility and not to force your own good at the cost of others. Um, and again, very different than what we see um, around us because a lot of times it's all about how can you serve yourself. Um, and if others are a liability to you or a burden to you or if a friendship is a burden to you, a lot of times worldliness will tell us to just get rid of that relationship, but that's not, I think, what Jesus is calling us to. Um, the last two Beatitudes I wanted to talk about together, because they're a little bit similar, um, it's um, starting at verse 10. Um, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution is uh, kind of a hard thing to grapple with, I think, for, for most of us. It's a bit of a hard thing to think about because we know, on one hand, obviously, that God loves us and he cares for us. But then on the other hand, he had has promised that we will be persecuted. Paul goes as far as to say in first, uh, sorry, in Second Timothy, he says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we also know that for the first few hundred years of the church um, and on, obviously, persecution was a huge part of the Christian life. I don't know, guys. I don't know if you guys remember, but Sam shared about this a few months ago, I think, where um, he was talking about how it was very uh, uncommon for pastors to take a wife or to have a uh, to marry. Uh, and one of the reasons was that it was so common for a pastor to get per uh, to get martyred that they didn't consider it fair to leave a, a widow behind. And that really put things in perspective to me on the first church. And I've seen a few different estimates. Some of them are in the hundreds of thousands, and some actually are in the millions of people being martyred in the first 300 years of the church before it became state religion. So I don't know the exact numbers there, but it's definitely it was definitely a big part of the early church 
Uh, and we even know that there was an issue of people idolizing martyrdom at a much higher level than they should, I mean, a very unhealthy level, where they didn't really feel like they could be good Christians unless they were martyred. So different than what we <laughs> were used to around us, right? And uh, Lance uh, Ralston actually talks about this in his podcast um, on the early church. He'll be here in a few weeks, sorry, I think, Lance. Um, the other thing that's interesting about persecution is that, generally speaking, um, in times of persecution, the church has actually grown at a much higher rate. And it's very interesting. Uh, it's kind of a paradox. Why does the church grow faster when it's being more persecuted? Um, and we've actually seen that in times of total religious freedom, like in modern times in the West, it typically starts shrinking, uh, not even maintaining the numbers that we have. And if you look at a definition of the word persecution, I mean, if you look into what it actually means, um, one could make an argument that we have some level of persecution here in the West now. But if we compare that to the level of persecution that Christians are currently experiencing, not just historically, currently experiencing in countries like Iran or China or other places, I personally find it inappropriate to use the word persecution for what we're experiencing in the West now. Because um, um, when people are dying for their faith in other countries and people are suffering and people are being raped and people are being abused, um, I kind of want to try to find better or more, I don't know, descriptive words of the situation that we experience in the West. Um, so all that to say, should we pray that we get persecuted then, if that's what seems to be the solution? Like, if there's more people uh, grow in the church when the, the church is persecuted, you would think that we should pray for that. I don't think that's the solution. I don't think that's a good idea. Actually, there are plenty of examples where the church has grown with religious freedom, so there, it is definitely possible there has been revival in modern times uh, without a huge amount of persecution as well. And actually, I think we should pray for the persecuted church that are being persecuted and really set our minds on what they're experiencing. And it will definitely help uh, our perspective here um, to kind of keep our focus on them. And there's a lot of resources out there like Voice of the Martyr um, and other um, Christian organizations that kind of uh, help us be aware of what's going on in the persecuted church. Um, Francis Chan spent some time with the persecuted churches in the East, and he was talking about how surrendered they were and how dedicated they were to Christ in one of his books. And this quote that he said really stuck with me. He said, um, what we consider a lifetime of sanctification in the Western church, they consider a prerequisite for a, to be a member of the church. So what we basically, like being surrendered and all in for Jesus, sometimes we just consider this like a whole life of going to church. And maybe after 50 years in the church, they'll be surrendered to Jesus. And that doesn't work in the persecuted church. It's all in or nothing. And that really convicted me because I don't want to uh, spend a whole life getting to a point of surrender in my faith that um, a Christian in persecuted church has achieved just because they just went all in. So... All that to say, I want to get back to this phrase, these men who have turned the world upside down. Um, it's kind of an insult, um, obviously, because the Jews are accusing Paul and Silas 
of um, kind of just changing things up that wasn't supposed to be changed, and they were just basically not welcome. But it is interesting, this phrase, because isn't that kind of what we're called to do? You know, isn't it kind of a compliment to Paul and Silas if the local authorities are accusing them of turning the world upside down? And as we go towards the end here, I want to ask ourselves this question, um, in what ways have I started looking too much like the society I live in instead of being someone who's willing to turn the world upside down in my immediate relationships? Um, that's not to say that you have to turn everything upside down for the sake of turning it upside down. Like, I don't, this, this is not very beneficial, you know? <laughs> but um, I think we should really search our hearts and, and ask God for some guidance. Like, where have I been? Where do I blend in too much, really? Or where do I allow myself to um, go by um, the norms of the society around me instead of following what the Bible is telling me to do? Um, and I'm not talking about heading over to Oakhurst and standing in front of Chase with a sign that says something on it, and you guys can fill in the blank there. I'm sure you've seen a lot of people protesting and have strong opinions, and that's okay. If you want to spend your free time protesting, that's, that's, that's fine. But I don't think that's what... I don't think this is what Paul and Silas were doing. I don't think they were walking around with signs protesting some uh, some sort of government thing or something. They were just sharing the gospel, driving out demons, doing what we're called to do. Um, in, in a way, it's not rocket science. On the other hand, it's sometimes really hard. So it's so my homework for you. Um, I don't know if I have the authority to give you homework, but, but you can do it if you're not. Whatever you want. Uh, my homework is to read um, these uh, three chapters Chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It has almost, I think it's pretty much all read letters. Uh, so, you know, not um, a lot of Jesus talking. Uh, and I would just, just read it in, in one sitting. It'll take you probably, I think, 15 minutes. Um, and just ask God after, like, what are two things? I don't think, don't try to do it everything all the time. You know, don't try to change your entire character in one sitting. Just ask God for a couple of things. Like, what are some areas that I haven't been... Um, you know, surrendering to the level that you have asked us to do. It could be simple things like meekness, or if you go through here, like like don't be anxious is one of our calls in here. Or um, there's you know he talks about lust, he talks about anger, he talks about uh, a few different things given to the needy. Um, so just let him speak to you. Don't don't take it from me. Take it from him because he um, he spoke it already. Um, but again, don't do it in condemnation. Don't let the enemy um, distract you from the way ahead because the point is to to uh, strengthen you not to weaken you so the last thing i wanted to read and i wanted to leave you guys with is just the verses that are following the beatitudes here uh, matthew 5 13 through 16 uh, i'm just going to read them and let the verses speak for themselves and then um, i'll pray and i'll end you are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yeah, Jesus, we, um, we acknowledge that you are the Lord.
of our lives. You are the one in charge. You are the one uh, we rely on, and we need you, God. We need to be dependent on you. And uh, I pray that you, as we read through these chapters, that you can just convict us in a way uh, that lead, that will lead us forward, Jesus, that will lead us to repentance and lead us to freedom, because uh, we want to be free from sin. We want to be free from our, our, our world around us and free from our flesh, Jesus. So uh, lead us into freedom and um, let us uh, see you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Um, just want to let you guys know that there will be prayer up here after, uh, I think up here, right? Both sides. So if you want prayer, especially some of these things, if you feel convicted, if you want some prayer, that'd be that'd be great. Come up and receive some prayer. And um, let's stand for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Right. You are sent.